Well, today is a really special day for our church because we are now open for worship services here at First Free. I know not everyone is ready to come back yet and we understand that, but we're ready when you're ready. And so welcome to all of you who are watching in our different venues at the church right now. Our goal is to make this a special worshipful experience if you're able to come here in person. It's a chance to connect with other believers, to worship God together and to learn from his word. Um, but it's also going to be a unique experience because in our different venues, we're designing the services to be kind of customized a little bit. So one of them is designed around families with teenagers. In one of the venues, we're designing the service around families with kids. And in one of the venues, we're playing some more traditional music in addition to our normal worship music. So all of our venues will still have the main worship music and the same message, but we, will, we hope that these little extras will make it a little extra special to gather together, even though we have to wear masks and stay six feet apart right now. If you do want to join us, reserve your seat at efree.org reopen. And if you can't join us in person, please stick with us online and use the chat feature at live.efree.org to connect with other people while you watch. Well, before we get into the message today, I want to let you know that we're not just moving on from dealing with racial division in our country and community. We're actually doing legwork right now and research on partnerships and more opportunities to get involved. We wanna see our church mobilized to impact our community in many ways, especially as we come out of this pandemic. And we'll be sharing more information about that in the near future. Uh, but we're gonna continue on with our study in Joseph right now. We'll have some tie-ins to things that are going on in our country right now. And, and we'll have some other important principles that will come out of this. But we're doing some work behind the scenes. I just want you to know that before we move on. Before we get into our study of the Bible this morning, I just wanna take a minute to pray together. All of you, wherever you are right now, and whenever you're watching this, would you just pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you, whether it's in our homes or in this building or wherever it is, Lord, thank you that we have a body of Christ, people that can encourage us and support us and that you continue to work through us to, to build each other up. And God, I pray that's what happens today. I pray that through the preaching of your word today that you would take it, Lord, and soften hearts and help people to grow and, and use it to minister in ways that I could never even imagine, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be in Genesis 41 today. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn there now. We're studying the story of Joseph, a man whose life was interrupted over and over again. He was kind of arrogant as a young man. He got thrown into a pit by his brothers. Then they sold him as a slave to some people who sold him again to an important Egyptian man named Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife made a false accusation against him and he ended up in a special prison for political prisoners. While in prison, he got to meet the former chief baker and chief cupbearer for the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now these guys were a big deal but they did something to make Pharaoh not trust them anymore. So he ended up putting them in the same prison as Joseph. Well, one night, these two former officials had dreams that were too specific and clear to not mean something. There was just obvious symbolism in these dreams and they couldn't figure out what they meant. In ancient Egypt, dream interpretation was something you could actually study. They had textbooks for this type of thing. And supposedly, it was the way that the Egyptian gods could communicate with people. Well, no one could figure out what these dreams meant, except Joseph, who said interpreting dreams is God's business, not man's business. So the men shared their dreams with Joseph, and God revealed to Joseph the meaning of the dreams, and he shared the meanings with these two men. Joseph said that 
in three days, the chief baker would be killed by Pharaoh, possibly because he was involved in a plot against Pharaoh, we don't really know, but the chief cupbearer would get his old job back and Pharaoh would once again trust him. Well, obviously the cupbearer was excited at this news and the baker was not. The baker may not have even believed Joseph was telling the truth, I don't know. But three days later, both of these predictions came true. The baker lost his life and the cupbearer got his job back working for the Pharaoh. Now, before the cupbearer left the prison, Joseph made this request in Genesis 40. So just go back a, a few verses here. In Genesis 40, verse 14, Joseph says, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. So what did the cupbearer do when he got his job back? Well, he forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Not a very reliable friend, this cupbearer. But now we come to Genesis chapter 41. Two full years later. Two full years later. Have you ever done something good for someone, hoping they would return the favor and it just never happened? Joseph gave this cupbearer the most amazing and hopeful message of his lifetime. He gave him an interpretation of a dream directly from God when no one else could. But then Joseph sits in prison for two more years. I don't know about you, but I would be pretty bored and discouraged. I get bored waiting for food at a restaurant. I get bored sitting at a stoplight waiting for green. And poor Joseph, wrongly accused and imprisoned, is stuck there for two more years because this cupbearer forgot to bring up his case. Now, we talked in a previous message about how God was actually using this time to prepare Joseph. I mentioned that this was a political prison. So Joseph was around a bunch of political elites who had fallen out of favor in some way. And he learned all about the inner workings of palace life. What are the different factions? What types of things do they argue about? How does Pharaoh make decisions? What are the hot button issues facing the nation today? So those two years were probably like an associate's degree in Egyptian political science. But if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, it doesn't really make any sense at the time. It's unfair. It's unjust. How could God allow this to happen? We can look around our nation today and ask a similar question. As we see things that are unfair and unjust, and we sometimes have to ask the question, God, what's going on? How can we fix this? Honestly, a lot of the solutions people promote at the national level don't seem like they will solve the real problems at all. In fact, it's possible that some of the solutions proposed would cause more harm than good. I shared a video this week from Phil Vischer, the VeggieTales guy, explaining how the racism of the past has impacted the culture and disparity we see today. And he ends the video with this question. So what are the solutions? And his answer, I don't know. I think that's how a lot of very caring and thoughtful people feel. Yes, we need policy and government changes, but if you listen to black leaders and black pastors who are thinking about these problems at a deep level, they don't believe government solutions will really solve the biggest problems. At the end of the day, the government is made up of people. The police force is made up of people. The black community and white community and all other ethnic communities are made up of individual people, people who have learned to behave a certain way. 
And some of that's impacted by decades and culture being passed down for generations. And, and those things can't be changed with the passing of a new bill. So while I am happy to see many reforms and improvements take place, if we're really honest about this, we have to recognize that this is not a problem we're going to be able to solve completely on our own. We like to say that we are one nation under God. And it doesn't necessarily feel that way right now. I pray that we get back there. Here is my hope for the future of our country. Ultimately, my hope is in heaven, but in this life, here is my prayer and my hope that we would once again be one nation under God, that we would see a revival of people turning to God and seeing their lives transformed by the gospel, that people would wake up and recognize that a changed heart is what we need and that's what God does. What if God is preparing us today? for something incredible in the future, not just in eternity, although that's incredible, but in God's family growing in the next decade. What if we're in a valley right now, looking at a mountain that looks too steep to climb, but God already sees it from the other side. And he says, wait until you see what I can do with this. What if he's preparing all of us? Now, by the way, he's not preparing us for inaction. The Bible says that we are God's hands and feet. We are his ambassadors. God makes his appeal for reconciliation to him through us which is amazing because it doesn't always seem like we're very good at it. You and I are God's co-workers, the Bible says, and he wants to work through us even as we work for him and the goal is for him to get the glory. What looks like an unsolvable problem to us looks to God like a chance for him to be praised accurately as the only real and total solution to our problems. Remember when God chose Gideon to free the Israelites from the Midianites? And Gideon had an army of 32,000 men but God didn't want the people to be able to say they earned the victory on their own. He was planning to rescue them. He was going to use some of them to do it, but he wanted them to know it was him doing the saving. So he has Gideon send home anyone that didn't feel like fighting. And 22,000 people left, 10,000 remained. God said it was still too many. So they narrowed it down to just 300 soldiers and God gave Gideon and those 300 men a miraculous victory so that the people had to say this could only have been God. Now to those 300 men, it probably seemed like a suicide mission. Insurmountable odds, but hey, insurmountable odds are God's specialty. When we look at all the challenges facing us today, it is easy to become discouraged and think, where is God in all of this? But I think he is preparing us. I think he's getting us ready. I believe that if we are willing to give up our comfort and instead embrace being the hands and feet of Jesus to other people, that we will see God do a work in the near future that can only be attributed to him. Maybe 300 of us is all it takes to transform our community. What if 300 people in our church committed to God today? God, I want to be used by you to make a difference in people's lives. Not so I can post about it and take credit for it, but so you can get the glory. And so more people join your family. Could it be that this is what God is preparing us for? Could it be that after COVID-19 and the exposing of racial division in this country, that God's people are going to wake up and get serious about being disciple makers and kingdom builders and actively engage in what God is doing in the world? I hope so. This is what I'm praying for, that God is preparing us like he prepared Joseph. Joseph had no idea what God had in store for him sitting there in the prison. He couldn't see the other side of the mountain that was in front of them. After the cupbearer left, it seemed like there was no hope 
But then this happened. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Yeah, I would too. That's pretty disturbing. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. And then Pharaoh told them his dreams, but not one of them could tell him what they meant. Pharaoh was disturbed and understandably so. This was a hyper-realistic dream. I'm sure you've had those. The, the dreams where you wake up thinking that it all really happened and then you have to calm yourself down. Or the dream where you wake up and check your phone just to make sure it really was a dream. Or that dream where someone you loved did something bad to you and it was so real that you wake up angry at them and you still feel angry at them even after you realize it was just a dream. Pharaoh had a dream that disturbed him so much that he brought all the best dream interpreters in to see what it could mean. And I want to pause here to answer a question that some of you may be thinking right now. Does God speak to me through dreams? Should I be getting messages from God in my dreams and looking into interpreting dreams as a Christian? When I go to bed tonight, should I ask God to speak to me in a dream? And the first part of my answer to this is that yes, God can speak to us through dreams. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. There are several examples of God communicating through dreams in the Bible. But the second part of my answer is, no, the Bible does not teach us that we should expect God to communicate through dreams or that we should seek his communication in dreams or that it's something God does very often at all. It's actually very rare in the Bible compared to all of the other ways God communicates. There are only 21 recorded dreams in the Bible. Half of those are in Genesis. King Abimelech has a dream from God. Uh, Jacob has two dreams from God. Laban has a dream where God warns him not to bless or curse Jacob. Joseph has two dreams about his future. And then there's the cupbearer's dream and the baker's dream. The Pharaoh at that time has two dreams and we'll explain those in just a minute. A Midianite man has a dream revealing that Gideon will beat the Midianites. We talked about that story. And then there are three more dreams in the book of Daniel. And the last six dreams all have to do with Jesus. The wise men have a dream. Pilate's wife has a dream about Jesus. And Joseph, Mary's husband, not the one we're currently studying, has multiple dreams where God guides him to keep baby Jesus safe. This Joseph actually has more dreams than anyone else in the Bible. These were all very unique circumstances. Most of the time, God spoke to prophets who wrote down their messages to be distributed to many people. God was not communicating with most people through dreams. And this was all before people had access to God's written word all the time like we do today. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 that God gave us scripture to teach us what is right, to show us what is wrong, correct us when we are wrong, and show us how to stay on the right path. In other words, the Bible shows us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. 
Something else all of the biblical dreams have in common is that they occurred before Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside his followers. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth. So the Bible never tells us we should expect God to speak to us in dreams or that it's how he wants to communicate with us. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. See, God's primary means of communicating to us has been through the prophets of the Old Testament, through the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, and through the teachings of his apostles based on what Jesus taught them and how the Holy Spirit guided them. That is where we should look for communication from God. And that doesn't mean God can't speak to you through a dream. And there are many stories of him doing that in countries where the Bible is not as available today. Many Muslims have come to faith in Jesus because he appeared to them in a dream and it was so real that it caused them to question their Muslim faith and turn to Jesus. But when you're going to bed tonight, if you're really hoping for God to communicate something to you, pick up a Bible and read it because that's God's normal way of communicating with us today. Now, Pharaoh had no Bible, no written word of God, and God gave him these cryptic dreams that no one could interpret. In one of these dreams, seven healthy cows come out of the Nile River that runs through Egypt. Then seven sickly cows come out of the river and eat the healthy cows. Now, that would be pretty disturbing. Cows can't do that. And how could sickly cows eat the healthy fat cows? I'll be honest, what it makes me think of are those mascots that are designed with the big mouths so they can pretend to eat someone who's wearing the wrong jersey at a baseball game? I love that, it's so fun. Sorry, I just really miss sports. But then there's the seven healthy uh, heads of grain that are devoured by the seven withered heads of grain. And again, that's, that's so weird. Like, why would that happen? And what does that even mean? No one knows. And then the cup bearer, that same cup bearer from before, he has an aha moment. You've had those too, right? For me, it usually has to do with where I left my keys or my glasses. Well, the cupbearer's aha moment is a bit more important. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Yeah, you think it's been two years, buddy, and you forgot all about this innocent man in prison. Some time ago, he says, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Now, I'm kind of surprised at this point that the cupbearer doesn't end up back in prison. I mean, you mean this whole time you knew a guy and you didn't say anything? We brought in all these experts and now you remember this? But I guess better late than never. So Pharaoh has Joseph brought to the palace. And I want you to pay careful attention to what Joseph does and does not do here. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Now, if I were in Joseph's shoes, here's what I would have been thinking. The last two years were some of the most discouraging of my life. I finally made the best of things, even as a slave working my way up to a high position of authority in Potiphar's house, only to have it all taken away by one false accusation. 
and an unjust punishment. And then I thought this cupbearer was going to be my ticket out of here and he forgot all about me until now. So I've been wrestling with probably depression for the last couple of years, really discouraged, hoping beyond hope to get out of this prison. Now's my chance. Pharaoh says he needs a dream interpreter. Dream interpretation is a big deal in this culture. People study it, they make it their career, and I'm going to make the most of this moment and say, I can do it. I can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. In fact, you should keep me around and give me a position in the palace and pay me well because I have this really useful skill. But notice the first words out of Joseph's mouth. He says, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Let's just stop there and appreciate the change of character Joseph has experienced through all God has brought him through. 15 years ago, he was an arrogant little snotty-nosed kid bragging about how he would one day be a ruler over his family. And that will actually come true, but he didn't handle that information very well. Well, now, when given the opportunity to take credit and promote himself, talking to the most powerful person in the world at the time, he immediately redirects everything to God. Why did Gideon need a smaller army? So God would get the glory he deserved instead of Gideon and the people. Why is God using a Hebrew slave prisoner to give guidance to a king? Because God gets the glory. And all the hardships and all the pain, some of it caused by Joseph himself, God used to prepare Joseph to build his character, to get him ready for this moment, this test. And later on, Joseph will tell his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, God's specialty is taking unsolvable problems, using people to help solve them, but in ways where he gets the glory because he was really the one doing the work. God wants to use people who will point back to him. Now you might say, isn't that arrogant of God? No, not at all. All good things come from God. It's by God's grace that we have air to breathe and gravity to keep us on this planet. It's by God's grace that we have intelligence and talents and spiritual gifts if you've trusted in Jesus. Every good thing we do is actually God working through us. And the question is, are we going to give him the credit he deserves or go around thinking and acting like it was us? Imagine you have $10 million and you decide you're going to give it all away. So you bring in 10 of your friends and ask them to deliver a million dollars each to 10 different charities. But when your friends deliver the donations, instead of putting your name on the form, they put their name. In fact, when tax time rolls around, they claim the donation on their taxes. Each of these organizations thanks your friends for their contributions in glowing tribute videos. They put plaques on their buildings honoring their contributions, which was really your contribution. Yes, they delivered the money, but they were not the source of the money. Yes, they were involved in the process and that is great, but they couldn't have done any of it without you inviting them to be a part of this project and giving them the resources to carry it out. This is how we should think about God's interaction with us. We are God's hands and feet, but he is the source. We are God's messengers and servants, but he is where all of the resources come from in the first place. Listen, God has blessed you in some amazing ways. Maybe it's your family, your job, your school, your talents, your resources. And that is nothing to feel guilty about. That doesn't help anyone. 
The question is not whether God should have allowed you to have the blessings you have. The question is what you're going to do with them and who is going to get the glory. Are you young Joseph, enjoying what God has allowed you to have and helping no one? Proud of what you have and what you can do? Or are you older but wiser Joseph, who says, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can. These aren't my resources, they come from God. This isn't my ability, this is a gift from God, so I'm gonna use it all to help other people and give the glory to God. You probably know the rest of this story about Joseph. God reveals to Joseph that Pharaoh's dreams are a message about seven prosperous years with lots of food, followed by seven disastrous years with no food. And his guidance is to be wise and save up in the good times to prepare for the coming bad times. And that's just a good principle in general. Always live below your income level so you can save money for the future. It's, it's a wise biblical principle. And on our website, you can find a series called The Almighty Dollar, where we teach basic financial principles from God's word. But Pharaoh needs someone who will oversee this nationwide savings initiative. And who will he choose? So Pharaoh asked his officials, verse 38, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh is someone who is thought of by the Egyptian people as being a god. In fact, a lot of what the pharaohs did was to reinforce this image of being superhuman deities, not mere mortals. But this pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph, who gave all the credit to God, that he recognized Joseph had a relationship with the real God. And that is what people need to see in you and me. That's why God gives us resources and spiritual gifts. That's why he uses us as his coworkers. That's why we are his hands and feet. It's so that we will go represent him in our communities and not just to get the credit because it looks like we did something good, but so we can point people back to him. And not just so that we can point people back to him, but so we can introduce them to the God who wants to have a relationship with them, who wants to free them from sin, who wants to have them join his family and spend eternity with him. And he does this through his son, Jesus Christ. Joseph was 30 years old when he had this moment with Pharaoh, and he rose to a position where he could save many people. Jesus also spent 30 years on this earth before he began his ministry that would lead to salvation for the world. Joseph saved many people from physical harm, but Jesus saves people from spiritual harm. In fact, many people misunderstood Jesus and thought he was here to bring physical salvation, but he had something much bigger in mind. See, every single one of us is stained by sin, which makes us unacceptable to God. Every one of us has done wrong in our lives and God is perfect. He can't have any relationship with sin. That sin is like a debt that we can't pay on our own. It's like you owe a trillion dollars and there's no way you could ever pay that debt. But Jesus came to this earth, lived as a person and sacrificed himself while taking all of our sin onto himself so that we could have our debt paid by him. And then he offers that salvation to us Anyone who believes in Jesus and his sacrifice, anyone who is willing to follow him and live for him, who confesses their sin and repents and recognizes that they can't make it on their own, they can't be good enough on their own, they can't go back and erase the wrong things they've done, but have to rely on what Jesus did for them. Those people God welcomes. Those people are reconciled to God. And I wanna just invite you to do that right now if you haven't before. 
to enter into a relationship with God where you're trusting in him directly and not in yourself or any religion. You can pray to him right now and say something like this, God, I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that I don't deserve to be with you. I'm sorry for all the wrong I've done, but I also know that Jesus paid the price for me so that I don't have to. And I believe in what he did for me. I, I wanna live for you, God. I want your Holy Spirit to be my guide. God, please forgive me and save me and teach me how to follow you. If you prayed something like that to God today and really meant it, you have become a part of God's family. And we would love to walk with you on this journey of faith together. So let us know at efree.org connect so we can follow up with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the stories uh, about your working in people's lives and the story of Joseph and what it teaches us about how you wanna interact with us and how you want us to grow and learn and, and develop our character. Thank you for what you did in Joseph's life. Thank you for recording that for us so that we can now hear that story and learn from it and see what you want us to do. The, the way you wanna work with us is for us to be your hands and your feet, but for you to get the glory. Lord, help us to have the kind of character that Joseph had later in his life, not early on. Help us to have the kind of character that is willing to do all the things you want us to do and yet not take the credit for it because we know that it all ultimately comes from you. And Lord, if there are people who are watching this right now who do not have a relationship with you, God, that's what we want for them. We pray that you would work in their hearts, touch their hearts, draw them to yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself to them, show them how you can make such an incredible difference in their lives, how you have transformed us and you can transform them too. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.